It's me, guys, Baron Vaughn. You might remember me from such podcasts as Deep Shit with Baron Vaughn, which I haven't posted in. Hey, wait a minute. I'm posting one right now. Welcome to Deep Shit. Welcome back to Deep Shit. It's been a very long, long hiatus, and I apologize about that. But this has been very hard to maintain. Um, long story short, well, actually, it's going to be a long story because this is quite a fucking introduction. I'll tell you that much. Um, I was going to say that basically I had a cord that was broken and then I got a new cord. But, you know, I do this myself and I was always coordinating with people and their schedules and their locations and how to fit people into my schedule and their schedule. And it was great when I had a car, but I haven't had a car for a year, guys. It's been a year that I've had no car in Los Angeles. And um, it makes it very hard to get around here. It makes it very hard to schedule things. And also, like, having the money trouble, troubles, the money troubles, also having the money troubles, <laughs> having the money troubles that I had, um, you know, I couldn't afford to get around to places. It's, it's, it's interesting. You know what I mean? I... Uh, I'm back, though, in a lot of different ways. And because I got down, guys. that's I've been up and I've been down. I went through a massive depression. And now I know that's what the fuck it is, guys. I'm learning more and more and more about myself in this last year, especially this last year that I've been gone um, from this podcast. Six months, I guess it's been since I've posted a podcast. But it's been a very, very eventful six months. And... And if you listen to this podcast, you've heard me be so depressed. <laughs> and I don't even know that's what I was doing. I had no idea. I was just saying what it is I'm going through and how I feel about it. But man, when I listen back, it's just I'm going insane. I'm going crazy. I'm just spiraling, spiraling, and coming up with so many different conspiracies whether they're external or internal, about me and about myself and against me, conspiracies against me and the conspiracies I'm instigating against myself to just keep me down. And that's what's been going on. And it's, it's, um, it was making it hard for me to post this because I just felt like I was aware of the fact that I was a bummer to listen to just from my real friends. You know, a lot of people who have been on this podcast, you know, and it's, just when hanging out with them as humans, um, I saw that I was, I'm not, I'm not a good company <laughs> to put it plainly. Like I was just a fucking complainer and a bummer and just so, so down, but articulate about it. That's the thing. It's like, I'm still smart. So I can devise the most inventive, creative and hilarious reasons to feel like shit. You know how you make yourself feel like shit and all the things that you tell yourself to keep yourself in that place? Well, I'm better at that than you are. <laughs> I've got this fucking faculty of creativity at my disposal to just to just beat myself up with. And I've been doing that for so long, and I never realized it until this last year, until I've had no car, and until I've had no means of getting around and thus kind of had to sit with myself a lot in an uncomfortable situation and spending a lot of time alone, 
a lot of time alone. But I got past some things. I'm going to tell you some things right now. So everything I'm about to say is, is very self-serving. Obviously, this is my podcast. I'm going to talk about me. And if you don't like that, turn it off. Or just turn it off if you don't like it. You know, I'm not offended. Uh, trust me, I, I have to be with me all the time. So I've heard most of everything I've had to say before it even came out my mouth. Oh, my God. I, I formulated it. <laughs> if you think what I'm saying sucks, imagine how it feels to be the one who thought to say it. So, you know, yeah, I was in that weird abandoned hope place. And I was in the bad relationship. Some of you may have heard a little bit about that. And no no fault of hers. You know, I look back at it now and I see the places that I was very, very unfair and where I was unwilling to compromise, which to her credit, she called me on. But luckily, I'm also incredibly defensive. Ladies, why don't you come over to my place? I'll listen to you, but then stonewall you in the end. So anyway, that ended and it wasn't a good ending. Um, we both were in the place where it needed to be over. And I have a lot of anger. I, I realized that um, I have a lot of anger for her, I think, or angry anger for relationships or anger for uh, just anger. And it goes in all these different places. And so I try not to blame her, you know, and try not to be like she was a fuck, you know, whatever, you, whatever horrible things you try to say about an ex. But she wasn't perfect. I wasn't perfect either. So I don't like to point fingers when I know that I am too at fault. You know, I have to accept responsibility in the times where I was complicit complicit in shit going down and shit being shitty. And that's a big thing that I've learned about myself in this last year. And I was in that place, and, you know, luckily I kind of started growing out of it. Little by little, I was getting exhausted with myself. And just like, ah, oh, man, is this what I'm going to think every day? Is this how I'm going to wake up and feel every day, Baron? And I decided that I needed to take some sort of action. So I started thinking more and more about what it is I can do to kind of get myself in a good place mentally and how that'll trickle down to all this career stuff and vice versa. And May of 2014... Everything just started to turn around. The Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, Oregon was around that time. As we started racing towards Bridgetown, I saw the uh, you know all these young comics that I know so excited that they're applying to Bridgetown or going to Bridgetown because it's really a comics festival, even though it's been around for a long time. Hey, you guys, when the history books are written, this era of comedy is going to be known for the festivals. Like in the 80s, they're like, oh, it's the comedy boom, the comedy club boom. Well, this is the second boom or the third boom or whatever boom. We're in a boom, but the boom is festivals. Comedy clubs are irrelevant. Every city is starting a damn festival now. And Austin, Texas, is the grossest offender. Call it Festival City. They have a festival every two weeks in that damn town. And I don't even think I'm exaggerating. I don't even think I'm exaggerating. Clearly, I'm exaggerating, but I'm pretty sure I'm not. But of course I am. But I might not be. Regardless, I went to Bridgetown and I looked at the list of all the performers that were performing that year. And I saw, to my delight, a lot of young people of color, you know, 
uh, not just black people, people of color in general. But of course, I was more focused on the black people uh, being one of them. So I saw there were 16 black comics going. And some people might be like, oh, that's nothing. Oh, my God. How many comics are in the whole festival? Only 16 are black besides you and like two others. Like people might complain about that or bitch about that, but I didn't see it that way. I saw it as this young talent, these young talents, this group of people who are excited and who are in love with comedy and are trying to figure out their own way, trying to figure out what they have to offer, how they want to say what they want to say. And, you know, it almost brought tears to my eyes. I've been very nostalgic about comedy lately. And because I've been doing comedy for 13 years. And I'm seeing all these things happen to me that I've heard every comic I love talk about happening to them. Comics I respect and admire that I want to be like, that I try to emulate. You know, some of these people I even know now that, you know, I can see them in the street and say, hey, and meet their daughter, or we run to each other at a diner and have a conversation, or even we're friends. I've been to their engagement party or something. Comics that I love and respect have been through what I've been through. And I'm looking at these young comics, and they're exactly in the place that I was in when I was for real finally listening to Richard Pryor or for real understanding why I love Bill Cosby so much or for real listening to the comedy of Louis C.K. or Patton Oswalt or Greg Giraldo or Patrice O'Neill or Maria Bamford or, you know, Janine Garofalo or... You know, any comic that I grew up being like, wow, I want to be like that, or they're so interesting, or they're so unique, but they're still so funny. Even people like Carol Burnett or Lily Tomlin or, you know, Flip Wilson, even people like that, Robert Townsend, that I feel like I'm in a place that they were in where they were in my level. Of course, the industry and all this stuff is is different, but... I remember being young and looking up to that, and and it's weird to think that there are young comics that are doing that to me because I just think of myself as myself. I still think of myself as that young comic. I still think of myself as, I don't know if I have a new five minutes. That's where I am. Oh, shit. Do I have a good five minutes right now? I need to rewrite all this stuff. Do I know how to do stand-up at all? Still in that. Every, Every day for 13 years, I've been in that. And so I don't know why. I guess I expect there's going to be some place where I just feel like I know my answers, but there isn't one. And if I, if there, and that's what I know now, is that this is just eternal conflict, and you live with trying to figure it out forever. And that's actually the fun of it. There is no answer. There's no one clear route. There's no one clear method. It's just figuring out what does and doesn't work for you, and accepting your failures. But more importantly, accepting your successes. Ooh, see, that's a big thing I don't do. Anyway, point is, I saw this young class of comic, and I thought to myself, all these black comics, if I put them in one show, it would be so diverse. The only thing we have in common is that we're black. But age, background, life experience, so different. Styles, just even styles of of dressing or of being on stage or what kind of jokes you want to deliver and how all of that's so different. And the only, and I was like, wow, 
that's so beautiful to me. So I said to one of the proprietors of the festival, hey, would you let me procure a show in which I showcase all the black comics on two shows? And for me, it was important because I was, I was looking at those young comics and thinking it would be nice to connect with them or that I would like to give an opportunity that they don't get normally. They get a really good show. They get to get seen by comics that they admire and look up to, to look back. Like they're three years in the comedy, but someone who's 15 years is looking back going like, hey, you're really funny. And that's all you need at three years. Holy shit. I got that. I still, I still know every single comic that was so nice to me, that was so supportive to me. Pete Dominic, one of the first people in New York to tell me I had something. Andrew Kennedy, comic in New York, you know, he's very, very funny. He had a sitcom that didn't work out, but he's the nicest guy, and he was super nice to me. Jim Gaffigan is one of the first comics in New York, and Greg Giraldo. Jim Gaffigan and Greg Giraldo were two of the first comics in New York that I was like, wow, they're heroes, they're gods, they're A-listers, to talk to me like I was a comic. They didn't say, hey, open micer. They didn't say, you guy. They're like, hey, you're Baron Vaughn. You're pretty funny. And of course, they meant the fucking world to me. Are you kidding me? So it's like I wanted to be able to engineer perhaps that kind of experience for this younger generation of comics. And I got to do it. And it was one of the highlights of my fucking career. Got to say. Apex, it felt like. One of the, one of the, the, the audiences were so excited to be there. And so supportive. Every comic knocked it out of the fucking park. Anyway, it's an entity that I've created that I want to take on the road. Now, am I the first person to be like, I want to do a bunch of black comics together? No, of course not. Am I the first person to be like, I want to do a bunch of black comics that don't fit black comedy together? Of course not. I just have my own version of it. I have my own idea of it. And I have a couple of people that I want to include on that. And I thought, hey, this could be something interesting. And so I was really excited about that, and it went off without a hitch. I was fucking excited. I went to New York a week after that. Then I got a job at Funny or Die writing sketches, and I was like, what? First job I'd had in a long time, and I was looking at that like, I'm going to have a paycheck every week and be able to kind of budget my life. Plus, I had a bunch of clubs in September. It was like the summer. I had a bunch of clubs in September. I'm like, okay, I have a paycheck every week up until October. I can figure this out. But then I got super lucky because I was excited about this show, because I was excited about booking some gigs and having some paychecks and looking like my life wasn't impossible anymore. And I was remembering why the fuck I even decided I wanted to be a comic. I got an audition for a really great show called Grace and Frankie. It's a Netflix original series. Guys, I booked it. I'll get to the point. I'm going to be in the new Netflix original series next year. We're shooting it right now. Uh, we're almost done shooting it. So I went through this incredible dip of depression, hit some sort of, I don't know, some low threshold. Not the lowest of the low. I wasn't horrible, bad, but I hit something and I came back up. And of course, all these things in the world were happening at the exact same time. You know, Robin Williams kills himself. A lot of people were incredibly upset about that. I was upset, didn't know I was going to be as upset I was as I was until I heard the news. And I was like, what the fuck? Luckily, I was with a comedian. I went out that night to be with comics. And then at the same time, 
young black men in this country are just getting shot, <laughs> just shot in the streets. And I was like, what the fuck is happening? So it was like Ferguson was kind of hitting this, this, this apex. The rioting had started. You know, uh, the guy that got shot in the Walmart with the BB gun, just all these different, all these different things that happen. And Robin Williams, and then me feeling like, why the, why am I, there's shit happening in the world. And I'm sitting here like, way, my jokes, you know, artist guilt, I guess. But I hit this apex, I got on the show, felt very different about things. And um, feel very different about things. And I'll tell you another very important thing. I was robbed. You've heard me talk about these money problems, guys. And I came to find out, finally, and so many people had said it, but I just felt like it wasn't real, I guess. Guy I was working with who was my accountant that was handling my finances was just taking money, guys. Just taking it. And I, it has started over the summer where I started to see out of the one account I have that money was just getting moved or missing or being spent on things that I wasn't spending it on. And that added up to about a couple of thousand dollars, which was frustrating because it was the first time in a really long time I had a couple of thousand dollars because I had this job that was consistent. And I was depositing these checks and like, all right, time to pay rent. And then my rent was getting spent before I even got to use it. Fired that guy. Start investigating all my different bank accounts that he was associated with. And just recently, I saw how much money is actually missing. And it's about $100,000, guys. First of all, I'm, I'm, I, I made a lot of money. Second of all, I didn't get to use any of it. Third of all, I'm slightly vindicated. Because, I'll be honest, I enabled this. Because I believed so fucking hard in the idea that I am just so bad with money. Wow. I am so bad with money that it's just flying, flying out of my pocket and my bank account faster than I could ever imagine. What am I eat? Man, I eat out a lot, don't I? Wow, I do eat out a lot. Shit. What am I... Do I, am I going to movies that much? Is my, is my car payment that much? Is my, is my cable that much? What am, I, what am I spending money on? Why do I never have any money? I believed that, and it allowed this guy to kind of just take shit from me. And I was always floating to so close to zero anyway. Months, guys, where I wasn't eating. You know, because I didn't have enough money. I had to pay rent or buy food. So it's like, that's where I was. And this guy was taking my fucking money the entire time. And I had no idea. You know, he picked the right person. A person who has creative depression. He was like, that guy would just sit in his apartment and be like, wow, I suck. While I'm spending it on all sorts of shit, bitch. Spending it on all sorts of shit. That's the musical I wrote about it. So you're thinking, uh, well, you're going to sue this guy. You're going to press charges on this guy. Yes, of course I am. But guys, life is not law and order. This is going to take a while. It's going to be a years-long process, especially because he's fucking missing. He has, I have a lawyer that has been sending letters, that has been trying to track him down, and holy shit, he's not easy to find, guys. Surprise, surprise. Guys, crooks are real. <laughs> They're fucking real. I 
thought, that doesn't happen in real life. That's shit from TV. Nope. Happened to me. Boy, is that on my face. My face would be red if I could blush. But anyway, I have to uh, you know, put together this case and press charges. And you know, once, it, once a detective has it, it's kind of out of my hands. It's just like I have to just sit around and wait and not worry about it. And maybe that's good because in a lot of ways I have to kind of let this shit go. Um, but I'm working on it. And I feel okay. The world's a complicated place. And we're all in it. By the way, this interview with Kieran Deal, who is a young comic I know and uh, like very much, um, was done a long time ago. So these next couple episodes that I'm going to post are lost episodes. There's a lot of things that I am talk about in these episodes that uh, don't exist anymore, that are irrelevant, you know, things that have happened and been passed. Um, I don't even remember exactly how long ago this was. You know, I listened to some pieces of it to, re- re- to jog my memory, to refresh my memory, and um, a lot of things are different. For, for instance, I no longer work on a show called Big Money. I did. I was doing that for a long time with Brian Cook and Eliza Skinner, who I talk about. You guys know Eliza Skinner from this podcast. But I don't, I don't work on that show anymore. I needed my Thursdays back. Plus, the three of us kind of disagreed on where the show should go. And uh, I felt like I was dead weight, honestly. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to get out. And I hope they're, they're having an easier time than having three of us trying to figure everything out. Two is better than three, I think. Three's company. You know what I'm saying? Two's company. Three's a crowd. Three's company, that's a tv show but now that expression it was a new expression but now we just think yeah three's company but that's actually not it was making fun of well there's lots of weird voices happening outside anyway guys this interview with kieran deal is about development because she did big money and she wanted to ask me some stuff as a as a quote-unquote senior comedian that i am she had some questions that she was interested in 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 talking about so i said well let's do this in my podcast and then i sat on it for months and now here it is. Hey, listen, you're listening. It's two double O frizz. Yeah, I'm fully grown on this one. Trust me, this one's for the big man, them car. It's a big, it's man, a big man, thing. man thing, you see it. I'm a fully grown man, no, I ain't no team. Love a bit of her, but I ain't no fiend. Love for these guys ain't seen what I seen, ain't been through what I've been through. What do you mean? Stay fucked, that ain't got a chief for my team. Love for these guys ain't been where I've been. None of these guys can't go where I go. None of them can't educate me about no. So you're saying that you get prepared to talk to me by singing songs. That's all you need to prepare to do. Not necessarily thinking, rethinking what you think about Hitchens, uh, rethinking what you think about Dawkins, rethinking what you think about Hawkins. None of that? None of that? No, process. definitely. There's no intellectual work that goes oh. on. There's no... Ooh. <laughs> I'm like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. That's my number that. one thing to say about you now. People ask me about you. What? Well, ask me, uh, hey, what do you think about Kieran? Ask me and I'll, I'll act it out with you. Okay. Hey, what do you think about Kieran? Brings up Harvard a lot. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't, though. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of education... Now, that's a fucking transition. Um, 
You okay? So recently, you I have a weekly show here in Los Angeles called Big Money that I run. Big with, Money, Big, big money, money that I I run with Eliza Skinner and Brian Cook. Very hilarious. Um, human Eliza people. Skinner, who you've heard on this podcast and was on Pete Holmes. Watch her stand up at Pete Holmes. It's just the Montreal Comedy Festival. Just, just for, for last laughs. comedy festival in Montreal. New faces and Brian Cook, who uh, is an excellent comedian, and we are going to be in San Francisco soon. This podcast is probably going to come out way after that. He's the creator and pro- procurer of the competitive erotic fan fiction show and which podcast, is hilarious which is hilarious anyway we three have a show together called big money and kieran recently did the show very fun and great wonderful. show that night great audience and i said something to you that night that is you've kind of had stuck in your gullet a little bit am i correct yeah can you tell me what that was kind of replay how it happened yeah, you. Um, well, I did a bunch of new material yeah. at the show, mm-hmm. and then you kind of gave me a couple of thoughts and notes on the new material. But the thing that stuck out was you said the phrase, you said you're not, I, like, you were very complimentary, which was very flattering. <laughs> Thank you. Amina. Very funny. Uh, uh, but uh, you said um, the thing that's going to separate you as a comedian from other people is your morality. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, so, and I've been thinking about that phrase a lot. It's like your morality will separate you from other people. So it's like, um, one of the bits that's new, but very much in the way that I think, which has been a little scary for me to do. Like I'm an Indian woman. I'm like quite small. So I think sometimes people pull back or they don't always, they don't always know what to do with you on stage. And so like that new, there's a new bit that kind of starts, do you know how uh, some people don't like sushi? That's how I feel about living, you know? And then right. it goes into a thing from there. And I'm only saying that because it's like, I, I always, for it took me a long time to want to do that on stage because I felt like the audience pulls back and I yes. felt the audience pull back yeah. because it's like, they're scared for you. They're a little scared for you. It's like, they need to know, I was somebody like one of the very first times I did it, somebody was like, so it's, it's obviously longer than that and it's going to be worked out and be a bigger thing. But like, um, somebody was like, if Larry David, uh, went up there and he said something like that, um, would all be like, Oh, Larry, you know right. what I mean? You, cause, cause we all know who Larry is, mm-hmm. but it's like, they don't know you the way they know Larry. So it's, but the other thing is that like, if, if Larry David sight unseen is a kind of a nebbishy looking guy, with kind of a pointy face and glasses, and he looks like he sits in his room a lot by himself. Right. So if he said that on appearance, we'd be like, that guy definitely yeah. is that. But you're like a good-looking Indian woman, you yeah. know, who who like looks like you bathe and that your clothes are clean. So nobody's looking at you being like, yeah, she doesn't have her shit together. Like you know, they can't tell on sight. You know what's also so fucked up? What's I realized that? is like I was at a show. <laughs> this is awful. I was at a show recently where I was like watching another woman perform mm-hmm. and like talking about like very funny, but talking about like internal strife. Like she was just talking about like this internal strife. And I'm like looking at her and literally in my own mind, like I was like, but honey, you're thin. <laughs> like all you need to do is get a haircut sweetheart just get a little haircut put a little blush on that face you're gonna be just fine it's a ama- like we're we're almost like attuned do you know what i mean like this is our culture to an extent like i'm very much a feminist and i think it's hilarious that like 
I can acknowledge that I'm watching another woman mm -hmm. have a series of thoughts on stage that she's still learning how to articulate. Mm -hmm. They kind of express an inner rage, but because she's so slight and small, I was like, oh, honey, you'll be fine. You know, like there's like this thing that you'll be fine. Or the very first time I did that on stage, right, with the sushi thing and that whole bit, mm -hmm. somebody else comes up to me afterwards and he was like, but I like you. That was what the a friend of mine said. But I, I like you. Oh, right. oh, well, that fixes everything. You like me? Oh, oh, I guess that takes away my entire internal life. Right. Thank you, friend, for liking me. I guess right. I don't get to have an opinion now. Why should I? Why should I? Now, here's, a, here's where you and I have some similarities. Because around your experience level, I was younger, though, than you are now, I believe. And around your experience level, I, I'm looking at you. I was definitely younger. So That's so fucked up. What do you mean? I'm, I'm joking. I'm saying it. 105. I'm joking because you're looking at me all worried and scared. I'm joking. I have no idea how old you are, kind of. You don't know that I know. So uh, you, didn't, you didn't know. You never told me what I found out. So From who? It doesn't matter. The point is that I was a little, I was at your, your experience level, but I wasn't as mature as you are now. Right? So... I had a little bit more – people weren't looking – when I was talking about dark shit, a friend of mine who is actually my age now came up to me and he's like, you know, I think that you're like a – you're kind of a, a fun, energetic, like relatively good-looking black guy. Like no one buys it from you. Nobody buys it. Nobody buys what? Me having dark thoughts and mm. dark material and internal struggle and 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 – now knowing that what I was talking about, what I was trying to bring out in my act, is depression. I didn't know I was a depressed person or that I get depressed, that I've actually had some – a massive – I've had like a massive depression episode. Now I realize, oh, that's what that is? That's what that's defined as? I thought I was just – I just I thought everything sucked and didn't want to go outside and then ate cereal for months. It's like when you say that and yeah. I'm looking in your eyes, if I was listening, I would probably maybe feel sympathetic. But looking in your eyes, all I want to do as you say that is laugh. Well, because it's funny to me. It's, it's funny to me. Funny. Depression is very funny it's to funny. me. And it's funny. And that's why – and that's how I, that's how I deal with it. Is that it's all funny to me. I'm just like, how can I make these things funny? Like, this is dark. And I'm looking at it as this is a universal feeling. It must be. I'm feeling it. Everybody must be feeling it. But then when I fucking try to articulate on the stage, everyone's looking at me like, no, I go to the beach. What's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. I used to have a joke about that when I moved here. It's just like, you. I say a dark thought or depressive thought, and people are just kind of like, you know there's a beach. You can sit out there and not think what you're thinking. Welcome to Los Angeles. We don't know what season it is. Like that's yeah, how everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how everyone kind of looks at you. Like, what's wrong with you? You know, you can dye you your can hair. You can cure everything that you're saying is easily curable. Just go outside, bro. Climb a tree, throw a frisbee, eat some ribs, and I just want to punch they a motherfucker in the face. Artisanal, down home food is becoming popular. I was gonna say, eat some organic ribs, <laughs> like some. <laughs> Humanely treated swine with that their their ribs have been slow basted with an organic, free range, locally farmed molasses molasses sauce molasses based barbecue sauce. It's like that's what we're doing in LA is is ruining everything that's good, uh, and I mean that in a lot of senses. But the point is <laughs> that what I told to you, and I just told this story the other day. There's a comedian named Rick Overton. 
And he, you know, have you met Rick Overton? Yeah, I know him. When I was in New York, I had this blistering stand-up bit. And I was really proud of it. I was proud of it because it was well-written. And it sort of, it was the first bit I felt like was me in terms of how I was unfolding the information and structuring the bit. And I'm like, I, I, I taught myself. That was the bit where I'm like, I think I know what I'm doing now. But the content wasn't amazing. I was in Times Square with a friend. We went to a ta- uh, Starbucks, and then she looked over in the line. There was like a bunch of lines. It was a busy Starbucks. She looked over, and she's like, oh, my God, that's like the third time I've seen that girl today. It's so weird, right? And I look at the girl, and I just see a really attractive woman. And I'm like, why is that weird? I was like look, thinking, like, why is that weird? Like, you just seeing a stranger a bunch? Maybe that's what she thinks is weird, right? I'm like, okay. I didn't think anything of it. We sat down. Then I look over to the table next to us, and that woman's there. And then I see she has only one arm. She has – it looks like she was born with an arm that didn't, go, didn't grow past the elbow. Not like an amputation, but like that's her arm. And I'm like, oh, that's why that girl stuck out to my friend because it's the third time she's seen this one-armed girl, right? And I wrote this bit because I was like I wanted to talk about it, but I didn't want to disparage a person that's one-armed. I didn't want to make fun of that. So I was like, what's the bit here is that I looked at that one-armed girl and thought that girl is out of my league. That's the bit is that I'm not in the league of a one-armed girl, right? And I turned it into this fantasia where we get married and like have kids and turned it into this thing. And I was proud of it and it ended well and I was ended, it built in a perfect way and ended with a great laugh. And I'm like, that's a piece of stand-up. I wrote a piece of stand-up. Yeah. I did some show in Midtown, this girl Katie Halper. It was like a kind of a political comedy show, politically based. I'm not, I never really considered myself a political comedian, especially then. I thought I was just more silly. I didn't really talk about politics. I talk about concepts, so I'm like, well, maybe that's why they're including me. And, after, and Rick Overton was on the show. After the show, a bunch of us got some drinks, and this other comic, Becky Donahue, I don't know if you met Becky, she's here, because she actually kind of argued the point to Rick that he was trying to make. And he, he specifically told me at the show, after my set, he came up to me. He's like, you're really very funny. You're very good. What's going to separate you from everyone is your morality. It's what's going to bring it out. It's what you is going to come out. And I sat there for the rest of the show just chewing that, like, what the hell does that even mean? And so afterwards, when we all went to drink, I brought it up in front of all the comics because I thought it would be an interesting discussion to have. And he tried to explain it. And I think I understand it. And that's why I felt it was time to maybe say it to another person that I felt is maybe a little similar to me in a similar place that I was then when I, when I heard this, which is that your morality, your moral center, what you think is right and wrong needs to be present in what you're saying. You can't just say things to say them because they're funny. You know, there has to be an, an exchange of where you stand on something inside of every single joke. And I've been told, and I say I've been told because I aspire to be this, but I don't ever think it's perfect that I'm right. But I've been told, oh, man, your, your stuff has so many layers to it. That's the word I keep hearing a lot. You have a lot of, there's a lot of layers in your act. And I don't know what that means because I'm not like trying to think of all these layers, but everything is layered to me. There's always a morality inside of it. There's always every piece of data has its own opinion. I have this bit about bugs, 
right now about how I killed all these spiders and I and then I found out that I was Abraham Lincoln to the crickets in my apartment, right? That's the bit. But the crickets have an opinion. You know, the crickets are free and they want to express joy. So it's like I had to personify that they have a morality and their morality, the morality I pick for every single inanimate object that I decide to turn into something with the voice has to reveal what I think. You know, they're my creation. If the sponge is going to be like, here's how I feel about cleaning dishes, the sponge is going to have some knowledge to drop. But it's stuff that I think. You dig what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I feel like, and you're not a similar comedian to me in terms of style, but I think you are in terms of temperament. In some, in some ways. I think you have some similar struggles with yourself that I have with mine, at least when I was at your level, comedically. Because I don't think we're similar people. But... I felt like you were a person that I could say that to, that it might be useful. I like the phrase level comedically. Yeah, let's, I got to level with you comedically. <laughs> you just get, you just, I just I passed like the, the idea, seventh level comedically. I, like, I know. I like the idea that, that comedic, comedically, it's like the circles well, of hell or like. But this is what I said to you on the phone cake. the other day. It's like there's so much access to so much comedy now than ever before. And. I'm al- I almost feel like I'm in the matrix in that I, I, I said I know comedians. I know comedians that are one year level, yeah. into comedy, two, three, four, five, every single year into comedy. Multiple comedians to, to 30 years into comedy. And I'm seeing all these different – like the genesis of what happens with the commonalities. And I'm seeing it like, oh, these are the patterns. And I know where I stand in it and I know, I know where you stand. What would you say is your morality then? My morality? Your morality. Um, what I what I think I personify in a lot of the inanimate objects in my act is duality. In that we're going to make it, but not everything is on our side. And sometimes the things you think are on your side are not on your side. I almost feel like that's the theme that I'm going for. And so duality. Yeah, duality. That like, there's always two sides to the coin. There's always two different sides to the story. One person will see it one way and the other per- – it's Rashomon, right? Perception. So it's like I'm annoyed that I have crickets that keep me up at night. But I see that they're happy that they're free finally sure, sure, from sure. the spiders. I delivered them. I'm their savior. That's what they see. And it's just like – so it's like I hate that, but they have a side to the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and then I realized that I have a trouble. I have trouble because I killed spiders. No problem. Crickets. I can't kill crickets because crickets do something. Crickets have a talent. They play an instrument. That's how they make that sound. I didn't know that I thought that until I, I've never killed a bug that like has a talent. Crickets make sound uh, like a fire bug or a lightning bug, whatever you want to call it. It has a glowing tail that's powered by the dreams of the innocent. I can't just smash that. Bees make honey. But spiders kill bad things. Yes, they do. That's why I saw, and that's the point. Maybe of the, you don't like them because they're ugly. No, no, but that's the point. That's what I make it say in the joke. I killed them because I didn't like it, but now I realize, oh, I actually needed spiders. That's what I. That's the, that's what I. Oh, there's a there's a fucking balance here. I didn't need to kill all those spiders. I should have left a few of the spiders because they would be taking care of some of these crickets. I'd have half the crickets. I could deal with half. I'd have half the spiders. I could deal with. I could coexist with those spiders and those crickets. That's that's the morality. That's the mes- message that I wish to convey 
in that bit about fucking crickets. <laughs> if the spiders were like the clan or whatever, and now you're like, you should have kept some of them alive to kill all the crickets. That yeah. has a totally different meaning. And that's the other thing is that I, I try to see like, I try to see what we've been trained to believe. Before this podcast, we had a whole discussion about our sex lives. And you talked about that's not what, true, mother. No, it's okay. You talked that's about that's not true, mother. You, t- your mother's definitely not going to listen. to this. <laughs> If I send her the link, my mother's probably the only person who's going to listen to this. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm just saying that you <laughs> you revealed what your some of your preferences are. Before I came here, before I came here, my mom was literally like, "Oh, kitten, when you're done with that, you should send me the link." Okay, then it's not true, mother. But you have preferences. Right. And I'm not going to I'm not going to reveal any of your preferences. I'm just saying that you have some preferences and I'm curious as to how those things even come to be. Why is that what you go for? You know what I mean? And I I do that for myself. Like, why am I why do I prefer this over that? So I said with a bit about like sushi, like, um, you know how some people just don't like sushi. That's how I feel about living. It's Mm -hmm. like even with that, like the idea the idea behind that is not like suicidal, but there's such a monotony and repetitiveness to living. Um, but it's also, it, there's, there's, can we pause it for a second or no? No, no, no. Okay. Just let it go to voicemail. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. It was, it, it was pretty important. Is it important? It was a little important, but it's okay. It's over now. Never we'll mind. Take a break in five seconds. Nothing is that important. We'll take a break in five um, seconds and I'll tell you what I was going to say though, is that that particular line though. And that's why I love that line. Right. Because the way I start the whole crickets bit now is I don't know where you are in your lives, mm-hmm. but I was talking to an insect the other night. Right. That's great. It's a really complex. That's a lot of things that's in great. a succinct sentence. That's a great sentence. And the way that you put and I told this to my mom, I'm like, I, I, I'm try, I was trying to my mom the other day. I'm trying to put complexity in small spaces in, sim- in simpleness in simple there's, forms. There's like for me, I think it's like but the. The big thing about that. But a lot of people can't deal with that. And that line, that line, you know how some people feel about sushi. That's how I feel about living. There's so much in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like because it's to me, but to me that is not for me. And that's but yeah, it's not for me because to me that's not about like that's not about suicide. It's about monotony and repetitiveness and like this fucking idea of like, oh, God, I can't believe I have to. What what am I? What am I supposed to do I'm supposed but, to get up? But again? here's the other thing that I like you know? about it. Here's the other thing I like about it. That's not what I hear when I heard that line. But I also agree with you. What you just said is not what I think when I heard that. It's op- it's going to it makes people think about what that means to them yeah. and what it means to you. And what it means to you. It demands them to to it demands it demands that they understand you and themselves in a sentence. This and this idea of but this idea of generosity of like no no you have a nice time. I just I'm not into it. You know what I mean? That's kind of but I I think it's like because to me, I, and I was thinking about why is the reason that I'm not that into it? And I think part of it, part of it is like, part of it might be like depression or just malaise. But a, another part of it is like, and I said this to you in text messages, it's like, I just feel like my morality or my expectations of people is mm-hmm. very high. Yes. Like I just. You're dis- easily disappointed. I'm so disappointed. And so it's like a lot of my anger and a lot of my sadness comes from how disappointing people are. Like, why is everyone such a piece of shit? Like, and, stop being such a piece of shit. And then here's what I like to do with that idea is to, it's not me versus the world. There's someone who out there who is saying the same thing that is lumping me specifically. 
into that piece into of shit. Into that piece of shit. Or, and I know I, I've been a piece of shit to people. For sure. Or it's more like. It makes me go like, well, maybe they're not a piece of shit. They have their own shit going on. So it makes me it makes me go less. They're a piece of shit. It makes me go, what the fuck is going on in their lives? Right. That doesn't mean that there's always an in. I had a friend who she was. She had a long history with this guy that I also knew that I wasn't a fan of. My bigger thing, more yeah. than that, it would be like. Okay, like go on. <laughs> how is there like like on a bigger it's but I I'll get stuck on like how can Congress not be making sure that like people are taken care of on a fundamental level? Like there can't be any agreement. How is it that the minimum wage isn't enough for a fucking waitress to live on if she doesn't have access to credit from before that, you know, like in nickel and dimes? Or like how is there still a genocide going on in Darfur where people are dying when in the Middle East all of those leaders have been displaced? Like how can that be so forgotten? Like how is there how are there consistently just like these things that just Here's, and then when you look at the history of the world, you have to. And all these in different it. empires, we're you can see we're at the end because we're we're so consumed with infighting that our status as world police is dwindling because we have spent our money on ourselves and we don't have the money to help everyone we said we were going to help, and a lot of the people we said we we're going to help might not even need our help. I, you, but I, and it makes everyone kind of gang up on you, and that's how we are. The world doesn't really love our country, and we're too busy infighting, and we're kind of – that's the end. And that's why all these things aren't important to us because we're, we're, we're in the death throes of trying to fucking hold on to number fucking one. Right. You can't and we're going we're gonna to run this ship – if we can't be number one, we're going to run the ship into the fucking rocks. Right. That's almost what we're the doing. The egocentrism. So it's yeah. like I get, you know, I get that or like the things that the the du- I get the duality thing. I mean, that's definitely like a I think when I was in high school, like one of the essays that got me into college was like this is I mean, I can't believe I wrote I don't know if I believe this anymore, but I wrote about the seven deadly sins. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about the seven deadly sins as like personified and then said um I don't think they're bad because out of every gesture, out of every negative gesture comes um, some of humanity's greatest feats. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like selfishness is g- going to be what leads you to maybe create or invent something that's tremendous or help people because of the feeling that it gives you inside. Whatever it is, like ev- every gesture is wrapped up, every sin is wrapped up in both the best and the worst version of its humanity and they're uh they're just very inextricably right. intertwined. So it's the same thing. You know, good and good and bad is all present in in every it's not a sin. Like they're 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 different sides of the same thing. The point. virtues and the the seven seven the seven virtues and the seven deadly sins. Yeah, it's same. They're it, all the opposites it's of the each sa- other. It, or it's the same but it's the same thing. Really fundamentally the the emotions are the same or the feeling and is some, the same. Some cultures that have similar beliefs to that and they're like their native religions, some of those words are exactly the same. Like one word me- means it's opposite. Like one word means life and death at the same time. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and even like, but I don't know if that's a if that's a morality. Like, I know a lot of my sadness well, and my anger it's... comes out of the uh, comes out of the like a disappointment with the society. Wait, but wait, then... you don't know if what's a morality? 
That I mean, like I know that, that like if ha, are you trying to articulate your own morality? I'm trying to figure out what my morality is. Okay. The other thing you said was like, oh, you you should you suggested maybe you state it at the top of your act. It's you know? it's when I say that is you. I, I want you to st- to find out what it is that you think about that thing that you're talking about, and see how the jokes you've written support your initial argument. You know what I mean? Like it's a thesis statement, uh, uh, you know, supporting argument, closing sure. statement. That's what I'm saying. It's like, what's the sentence that you can say at the top of the joke that's going to make everything else make sense when you continue talking? It's, I think this, let me explain. It's this, then it's this, then it's this. Am I right? That's the structure I'm talking about <laughs> or a subversion of that structure. That's the baseline of it. I think this, this, and this, and this. Yeah, because it's like it's a writing exercise I like to do for myself is, Am I is right? state a statement. And it has to be a, a true statement that fits this description, something I believe to be true about myself or the world around me. That's why. So, okay. So like Bill Burr will be like, Steve Jobs was an asshole. Yeah. This and this. So he'll pick something contrarian and then he'll well, be like, he does that. Yeah. Yeah. No. As an example, he'd be like, this guy's a dick here. This, 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 here are all the reasons why. He's a right? dick. Right. Right. Let me, pr- let me disprove the thing that you think to be the mo- one of the most universal and for truths. the other comedian that's, that's hailed as Caesar right now, Louis CK. It's how he started kind of doing his new thing is my daughter's an asshole. Mm-hmm. And he has to prove why that's true in a funny way that makes people that don't agree with the initial statement agree oh, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. I, I had a joke that also, I was doing. The, this, yeah. But Louis does it through something that's deeply personal, and I find that yes. to be very important. He does it through like something that's personal, deeply personal. So and it's then, like, and Bill will take something that isn't personal, no, and make it make personal. it very personal. Yeah. So Louis C.K. is like, here's a personal statement. I'm going to use things you understand, okay, to make you believe that statement about me. And Bill goes, here's a statement you don't think is true. I'm going to tell you things that I understand personally to let you know why this thing is true. Sure, and that's how he works in the personal. I liked one of my friends who's not a comedian. He's just a guy who lives in New York, but he said this great thing. Um, We were both in Toronto for this film festival, and he goes – Oh, one thing I really love about Louis C.K. is because everything that he says is so personal. He goes, I never feel like he's wasting my time. And I thought that was such an interesting way to put that. You know, like I never I never feel like someone's on his he never feels like he's on his soapbox. Right. Because he's always like really letting me in. Well, in a very you deeply know, personal way. That's also taste. There's I a mean, book. Yeah, it is taste because I have a friend who. Uh, is a fan of mine and who's become a friend. Actually, she, she started as a fan and she's become a friend. Are you okay? What's going on? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. She started as a friend and became a fan. And I I was one of her favorite comedians. Like, she had paid money to see me a couple times, you know? And I, I didn't even know that. And then we started kind of interacting and became friends. Her brother is a Humble fan. Humble brag. No, just it's literally one person. <laughs> So that, oh, we get it, Baron. You're rich and successful. But her brother is a fan of comedy. She likes a different brand than he likes. He's he's into the more mainstream stuff. So he asked her if he could listen to my stuff, so, see, so he could see what it is that she likes so much. And he got it, but he likes stuff that he can relate to more. Yeah, and it's a, like it's a gen- taste. 
it's a general thing, but it's like, but he says that it means that like he kind of likes generalities. It's like he he likes something's more mainstream. I'm too specific for him. Like the way that the things I talk about and the way that I do it is just it's too much information for him. What I think is interesting he wants about a little you, bit simpler. It's interesting that you talk about. It's interesting that you talk about stop like, uh, like the moral center of something because you also have a very specific style like your stand-up because it's like it and i was talking about this with somebody last night this uh you know this girl had come to the show and we were talking about it your style is so specific right so it's like to my, my show well your no 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 a show i was at last night at west side um oh, okay ed's show you guys were talking about me no we oh, were just ta- okay we you're talking about style in general we were talking about st- we were talking about stand-up she mentioned well she mentioned Gerard because we were talking about that bit and then we were talking about some other stuff and and I go I go there's something and I don't know exactly what it is yet but there's something I really like about the idea of being like very charming and personable and then just like it's just not for me it's a poison you know what I mean with a smile like like just an easiness like a using the fact like you said oh you seem you seem pretty you seem likable so like using that as part of using that as a, a real tool like using as opposed to like you know like Larry David looks schleppy he looks like he spends that time how can you use what you have as a tool to kind of forward whatever your motivation because is because in a way you're okay so if you when you say that statement if you smile they're going to be like oh she's, she's okay she's fine yeah so indicating that's funny you, but she's okay yeah using it using it as a but style you say it with a straight face they're like oh my god is she going to be okay yeah 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 Stop, <laughs> but so style yeah. like it's like a like so part of it is morality but then the other part of it is style and how do you so what I was going to say but the like, style does reflect the morality but not necessarily it does they, well i because i was going to say but i think style is also like how you are as a person like you are very like we were just joking about it but you're very animated and you're very you're like such a kind of but natural... i have to play against that sometimes but you, you're na- to get a moral point but you're across. you're like a natural genuinely like an entertainer in like in the sense of like you can sing and you can dance and you can act and like you're a you're it's the, but it's the number one thing that i'm working that's that i'm working against. i disagree because it's I, like I, I have all these things and people are like oh he has so much fun on stage no, but I, then when i'm talking about dark shit they're like Wait no, a no no i dis i disagree with that i mean this is just my opinion because i think what happens is you'll be like I have depression, like, and you do it in your style, yeah. and that's actually what makes it deeply original to me. That's I actually think that's part of the the brilliance of it. I, I think they're kind of separate, but like because you're the shell of you, and you do it. That's your casing. Like that's so fundamental to who you are that it's like whatever you're. That's going to inform the way that you talk about dark stuff. And the example she was giving, but the dark stuff's going to inform the way that I, the style that I deliver it in as well. Right, but you don't have to fucking. St- the point is, like, yeah, it's like if it's dark, like you might think somebody's going to stand there and be like, <laughs> very articulate. Um, but just like you know, you think that somebody's going to stand there and do that, but it's not necessarily the case at all. Like you prove that it's not the case and the other example she gave was Gerard we were talking about Gerard because the the girl who was there is like a young person at Comedy Central right? Gerard Carmichael yeah well, and so the, the the girl who was at the show last night was a young so she she's following comedy and like this is like her you know so on the other side of it on the industry side of it and so it was interesting because she's seen a ton of comedy and she goes uh and she was talking and she mentioned how like how how one thing she loves about him is how his thoughts are so dark, but he's so charming. You know what I mean? If like you can say like Gerard when he did um, Emily and I show, 
at UCB, the uh, Dirt, which was the first one, which you weren't on because you had a show the same evening. Um, like when he did that show, he had a line um, where he goes, uh, uh, will I cheat on my wife? Yes. Because I'm ambitious, you know, and it's so few words and my timing isn't going to be as good as his. And like it goes with his fa- like, but he's it's like, well, it, you know, it's interesting it, that you bring him up because he actually told me once when we were at the West Side that what his pro- what his process is a lot of time is is saying a phrase on stage and having to suddenly uh, figure out how he actually feels about it. Mm-hmm. And it, it demands something from him that he didn't know was there. And then once he kind of knows how he feels about it, then he can write a joke about it. You know? So it's like, well, I cheated on my wife. He didn't know how he felt about that. Then he realized, yeah, he would. Why? Because I'm ambitious. So it's like once he knew that he would, he was like, well, why would I? And then that becomes the rest of the joke. So it's like he, he's a, he quote unquote writes on stage. You know That's what I mean? why he takes so long to say things. Yeah, and he has to. He has to. He's he's making it up as he goes along. Some of at it. the beginning of a bit, and then he starts to write it and hone it. Yeah, and hone it. And it's a. It's a. It's a. It, that it depends on the bit that can work really fast. He's, that can work really slowly. But he's got a very good way of. Um, that's why he takes his time and yeah. he gives himself the time to think. So this is also very difficult. And that to like, affects his rhythm, the his way his rhythm, delivery. His rhythm and the pressure and to not feel the pressure of like people are looking at me. They need me to say words right now. To feel comfortable in your own rhythm is yeah. so important and to find that rhythm. So the rhythm is another thing. But, but I liked her point about like he can get a... I I don't think that every comedian could get up there and say that phrase and get the laughs that he got. And I think a lot of that has to do like he can because he just looks so sweet. He's got a sweet face and he's very charming. Like he's got a real charm. No, as a person. And, that, and that and it forms the the line. Like he, so he can play. Of course, these guys have to think about well, what can I say that's going to get them on my side? You know. But if you look like an asshole. You couldn't. You. I mean, people are going to be like, "Oh, this dick who cheats on his." Yeah, of course like, he would cheat well, on I his. Cheat on my wife. You, yes, good yeah, fuck that bitch. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like Josh Adam Myers has that voice where it's like, <laughs> and they would be like, "Oh God, this this asshole fucking put his head in the toilet and flush." You know, I think about doing the, that to everyone. Those are the jokes that when I hear, I gravitate towards those. When I when I when I hear what I think is because ever since I heard that statement, I've been listening to so many different comedians. And I'm always listening for, well, what's the morality that they're revealing? What are they it's revealing a good thing. Yeah. about the, themselves? And it kind of taught me. How does your, so how does your, so you, there's the morality and then there's the style. So how can you use the style as a tool or like even a weapon to get across the morality? Because it's the thing well, that makes you special and the, interesting. That's the question that, that, that stand-up's the, stand the answer to. But I, and to bring it back to something very personal, like I feel like I'm struggling with this now because it's like I know that like I, so while I might be sad in my home when I'm by myself, I'm genuinely usually happier when I'm on stage and I, wa- I want to be inclusive and I, and I want to be brighter than I might be if we were just like, oh, in my house, you know what I mean? Or I'm by myself. And so it's like, I'm, I am genuinely happy to be there. So like that mo- those moments might not feel as honest or I don't want to be a poopy diaper in front of people. But you can, that will, that can change how the joke works. That's what I, and so it's like. And that can change what the point of the joke is even. So like, how does that, 
stylistically, it's like, how can you, I, I'm struggling with that now. I, so it's like what, you know, it's like, I know that one thing I've heard from other people from talking, they're like, oh, you, you can do you hold the mic. Sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I do. <laughs> uh, sorry. It's cause I haven't been doing this long enough. <laughs> Because you were kind of like <laughs> depressing the bottom of it. I'm very, I'm like, a, I'm like a little ADD monkey in That's your funny. house because it's like I'm like checking my phone, mm. and drinking my soda. But you were um, saying though. Yeah, I don't remember. You, you were saying stylistically, me. you are. You've heard from other people. Oh, oh, okay. They say you'll throw in asides, like you'll you'll interrupt yourself when you're talking, and mm. that's some of the most charming stuff that you do is that's like, why people record themselves yeah yeah because sometimes you're caught off guard by something and it's hard to remember it after you've said yeah it. yeah and i noticed like i completely block i i block out those entire parts of the set like but that's something that people at least i've heard consistently people respond to oh and i really love the way you do that or somebody even said it's like the act isn't the story you're telling the act is in the asides or the act can sometimes even be you know and even like well, like I remember Louis has this thing he's talking about one time with a deer and he keeps interrupting himself. Yeah. And it's just like it didn't it could have been anything. But sometimes the asides you have to do the first thing to find out what the asides are mm-hmm. and to find out that you need to kill everything else that's not the asides. Right. And so you know? I, I my point is it's like I it's still it the feeling and I think you said that this is pretty normal to feel like is like I think it's I there's an irony to like I feel more lost now like what am I doing than I did let's say a year and a half ago you know I felt like oh I'm really getting this you know and now I feel like oh god like almost overwhelmed like in terms of like and and I remember you said oh with your morality maybe you announce it maybe you announce your morality up top but it's like I I think I mean but that's a see that's why I wanted to talk about this because it I don't the word you seem very fixated on the word announce. You know what I mean? And I I don't mean like announce I don't mean you have to say it out loud, state it exactly. Okay. I just mean that you have to kind of reveal announce sounds too plaintive. I was so this was but I like you have some- to kind of reveal the piece of information that they need. Like if they could give them the first piece of the puzzle at the top. And then they have to get everything else and connect it back to that. Oh, this clarification is what I was asking for. Yeah, yeah on on what you meant. So, can you give me an example from from some stand up that we might know, or from your own material of an example of that? I had this joke, and I, that's what I was going to say earlier. I had this joke that I really make you more specific. I'm making you better. That's you know? fine. <laughs> it's not like I haven't thought about this before. No, no, no. I mean, like, I, I, I feel like I'm really doing a service for the listener who's like, oh, no. oh usually this just spirals off. No, into it doesn't necessarily. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm just being a dick. You are what you, are what you eat. <laughs> that's then I'm not certainly true, not a penis. <laughs> Not her, not a penis. That's her mom. not true. That's those aren't things that we we and that really actually was not anything we talked about. No, okay. So. Wait, penises, definitely not. No, no. except for one. So <laughs> I, I like, can't send this link to anybody now. <laughs> um, yeah, sure you can. Um, I had this joke, and uh, I guess I, when that whole Tosh thing happened at the Laugh Factory, where mm-hmm. he made that that rape joke. Which is still that whole situation to me is still obnoxious because I I just feel like there were too many people that had opinions that weren't there and have no idea what the were context. You there? No, mm-hmm. so it's like, but I had heard all these different accounts and there were so many of them that I thought it was silly. 
I thought everyone having an opinion about what happened when they didn't actually know what happened was absurd to me. I wanted to hear what was the events because people had, oh, he should have done this. He should have done that. Yeah. But what happened? Like who said what to who? What exactly did he say? What happened? When did, like I want to know the details and I haven't heard that. So I don't know. You but, still haven't heard it? No, because I have never heard the story told from anyone that was there. You know what I mean? And even then, it's still telephone. And even then, it's still, yeah, exactly, it's still telephone. So it's like, I have a version of it that I think makes the most sense, that's, which is that he was doing crowd work, and it was an imperfect moment. But people are like, well, he should have known. I'm like, I, I don't, I've, I've never come to a conclusion on it. You know, I think you have to be sensitive about what you're saying, but I don't, I don't know exactly what he said and how he said it. So anyway, the point is, I had a rape joke myself because You're I'd actually had written this joke long before that thing had happened. But I was doing it in Texas. I was at Cap City when that thing happened with Tosh. I was like there like the next weekend in Cap City, and I did my joke there. And to my delight, which was the point of the joke in the first place, I had a lot of women that really liked it, that, that really liked what it was that I was actually saying in the joke. And I had people tweeting at me, that's how you do it. That's how you can talk about rape and make fun of rape culture, but not rape. Right? So I was proud of this joke because it was a joke that I always felt like I never had a rape joke. I've never had one because I felt like they're always lazy. Like it's like people bring it up to get the laugh, to get the uncomfortable laugh. The word can get the uncomfortable laugh. But most people's morality, what they reveal about themselves in their rape joke is I've been raped or I'm a rapist. Right. And that's supposed to be funny that this person is just mentioning that they were raped or mentioning that they've raped somebody. And I've never thought that was funny. Is that morality or is that? Just... I'm saying it's not. It's but it's misguided morality is but... what I'm saying. It's like that's what they're they don't know what they're saying is what I'm saying. They're not they haven't thought through well, what are they actually saying about rape when they're like, well, you know, I was raped. So whatever. Like, what are you saying there that it's funny that you were raped or that it's funny to be raped or just like, you know, I'm going to raped or hey, oh, that's funny to rape somebody. That's what they're saying, and they're not even thinking about it. There, just, is no, there is no uh, take. There's no take on rape, exactly. There's no take. So I said I've never, I've never had a rape joke because when, I didn't have a take on rape. When you, when you say morality, do you mean a take? Sometimes. But not take exclusively. A take, no, not exclusively. Mor- I think morality is a, is a big umbrella thing. I don't think it's one thing. I think right. there's a lot of – I think take is in there. I think style is in there. I think content's in there. They're all things that reflect it because there's no one – way to reflect because your morality is something that some people know exactly what they believe about everything and some people you have to arrive to that conclusion and sometimes to watch a person figure out what they actually think about something is riveting i'm so moderate i really am a very moderate you know so it's like i know i get a lot of shit from my friend like i have a lot of friends here who are so like health food this organic blah 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 you know like this kind of you know that culture of and it's like i'm an indian so it's like i i do believe that there's value to acupuncture i believe there's value to western medicine but i have friends who are dogmatic there's no god it's agnostic you know very agnostic or atheist very dogmatic in whatever they believe and i think i'm i don't know i'm very like go ahead you're in the middle like in the middle of the road like there's if 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 like a something like with health you know, I'm sorry, I'm a little all over the place, but like with acupuncture, whatever, it's like, 
if it's been around for thousands of years, there might be some truth in that or some good in that, regardless of whether it's been tested scientifically. But it's like also, you know, with science, like to completely write off Western medicine entirely, given like the leaps that they've made with like heart disease or knowing how to do a heart surgery or fixing your broken leg. I mean, right. there's, there's a total, you know, there's both, both things have validity and they can yeah. exist in the world in like kind of a moderate place and like one of tolerance. Yeah. I don't think there's anything particularly hilarious about that, but it's like, you know what I mean? Um, no, but I'm saying that like, it's, it's not that it's hilarious. What you're talking about is hilarious. It's just that your morality is going to shift where it goes while you're talking about it. Right. It's not that your morality is funny. It's that you're talking about something's funny and if you're lost about where to take it next, it's check like you, in with your yes, fucking morality. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's check like in a, with, well, actually, what do I think about this? Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's actually a really great way to... That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is that have a take and you're going to have a multiple takes inside of a bit. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes it's easier to make something funny that's the opposite of what you believe or like something that's uncomfortable for you to believe. But nothing that was easy was ever worth doing. Sometimes if it's... What like, are you, my mother? Sometimes if it's easy, Get in. then it's, it's like, easy. I'm not interested in easy. Personally, you know what I mean? So anyway, this joke that I told. I never had a rape joke because I never had a, te- I never had a take on rape. So I decided to write one, write a joke that has something I actually think about rape in the joke. And if I can make people laugh about that, that's the joke I want to have. I don't want to have a joke where I think I'm saying rape's funny, right? I'm saying – and actually I've had two different beginnings, the thesis statement to this joke. I've tooled around with it, and I've had two different ones that I come back to, and I'm not totally satisfied with either. I usually take the temperature of the audience because this is a joke I do late in the act in an hour mm-hmm. after I know they trust me. Ah. Because it's like if you come bring up rape too early and they kind of don't have a sense of who you are – they, get, they start to get afraid of what you just might say. If they don't know you, they're like, oh, no, what's he going to say about it? But if they know that I'm, I'm kind of silly or that I have clearly shown I have – I understand nuance. I understand maybe you. some sexuality shit. They trust you. Yeah, they're like, oh, maybe I've heard him talk about sexuality. I've heard him talk about rights and things. So he's not going to say something stupid about rape, right? That's what I hope they think by the time I get to that place. But sometimes people – it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They don't hear your morality. They just hear what you've said. And if you say rape, they go, fuck you. And they don't want to hear. So this was the statement that I started with. And I tried to break this down. And I would get applause breaks. And I, I was happy that women would, would like the joke, which was, um, first of all, I started it with rape's not funny. I don't think rape's funny. Right? That's the way that I would start sometimes. And it depends on the audience. Sometimes I would start with, I think anti-rape campaigns are sexist. It's a little bit – it's a much more dangerous sentence. And people are like, well, what the fuck does that even mean? And I'm like, because of what they teach men to do. What they, you know, what they say, what they say to, 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 uh, to men. Now I'm trying to figure out what it is. Oh, no. I think anti-rape campaigns are sexist because of what they tell women to do to avoid rape. It's like don't go down this alley. Don't leave your joke this. Don't don't leave your joke. Don't leave your drink right here. Don't walk down the lit street here. Get to your car in this much time. Have your keys in your fist. Don't stand in front of your door looking for your keys in your purse for more than five minutes. You're a sitting target. And I feel like most anti-rape campaigns should just be dear men don't rape. Right? So I saw when I thought about anti-rape campaigns, it's always like it's about – it's for women to avoid rape. And I never felt like there was enough emphasis on Don't teaching motherfuckers rape. to not be a rapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? 
So, and there's this weird message there. It's just kind of like, are they just assuming we're all going to rape? We're telling every woman, men going to rape. What you going to do? Be ready. And that's a fucked up thing to be told about yourself, right? So I'm like, so I, do I think that women think I have this weird fucking kill switch? Like I'm just going to go crazy at some point. So when I have a female friend over, when we're alone, I like to make sure she feels secure, you know, like not caught off guard. I like to create what I believe is a non-rape environment, which, by the way, it looks exactly like I'm trying to create a rape environment because the things I say are fucking creepy. Right. Like what? Um, this is based. It, it, there's a couple things that happened that helped the joke happen. Like Phoebe Robinson was here once and um, gave me a piece. There was a, a girl who opened for me in a club in Wisconsin that gave me a piece. It was like, ah, I had some experiences that I could turn into what I needed them to be. To prove my point. So the things I say are fucking creepy. Like I had a female friend over recently. You know, she was crashing on the couch, sleeping in different rooms. So that's what I, you know, that's the, uh, the R&B song of respect. And uh, see, that's also you. Yeah. I was just about to say it's like Hampton. Yunt. I diffuse. I diffuse some things with songs sometimes. Do you know, like I know Hampton does it, too. Yeah. Hampton has a version that I watch, but it's like your styles are so different. Yeah. Like that is so the even just that song like that's so you. It's very me. That's so like barren. Even though I've heard other comedians disparage, it's like I hate when comedians sing things. I'm, I think it's diff- I'm fancier than that. I think it's different if you're good at singing. Maybe I think because actually could- that's one of the things that Eliza said to me once is like people are always going to shit on the things that you can do that they can't. It's like and they're going to try to make you think that that thing is awful. No, no, no. You're like very good. So I think it's like like that Darkwing Duck thing works because it's like you can really sing those songs. If I'm warmed up, I can actually sing those songs and like do an accurate impersonation of yeah. the fucking who which sang is, them. Which is very impressive. It's like just it's impressive and very entertaining. That's not – of course it's entertaining. Well, and you know what? That's That's, that's Steve funny Martin. that she said that. That's it's great. Steve Martin. It's like it's the clown, the skilled clown it's called. Where it's just like Steve Martin is a silly fucker. He's wearing a white suit. He's got an arrow through his head. Then he takes out a banjo. And like, this guy can't play the fucking banjo. Then he rips it on banjo. And you're like, I didn't know that you could be good at banjo. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And this, this clown, clown just did that. And you have to kind of sit with, he knows, does he know more than me? That's, that's what you're sitting there with. Yeah, the clown. And I like that idea. The clown, yeah. Yeah. So then, um, yeah, so then the joke goes. The like, clown being able to use the skill of whatever it is, whether it's a voice or an accent yeah. or a physicality or a well when a you song. look at like that's where kung fu, these are tools. Kung fu movies were born out of peking opera and these people were acrobats i'm so uncomfortable because there's no back on this chair i have like terrible there's no chair there's no chair i'm like on the ground well, look, let's wrap this shit up then. <laughs> I'm just, it's like i care but not this much you know what there's I mean? no i'm not going to finish the rape joke i'm sorry no 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 audience. no 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 please please finish it you uh, said i interrupted you you said well you i said yeah i said that th- i I go. What is it? It's something like um, I like to create what I believe is a non-rape environment, which looks exactly like I'm trying to create a rape environment, right? So, like, I had a female friend over recently, you know, sleeping on the couch, different rooms, and um, it was late. We're having a talk, you know, and I'm getting tired, and I wanted to say I, I'm going to go to bed, but that felt too aggressive. So I was like, okay, I need to figure out what I'm going to say here. So I'm half listening and I half sucked into my mind. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting tired here. I need to let her know that I might, I'm getting tired, that my eyes are drooping. I'm going to go in my bedroom. I'm going to turn into my, my night clothes. I'm going to go in the bathroom. I'm going to wash my face. I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to go back into my bedroom, turn off the lights because I conserve energy. Go back into my bedroom. I'm going to close the door so that way when the door is closed, she will see that she has a safe space within my space because that's what I bring the friendship, right? That's what I'm thinking. But I'm half listening, half thinking. When I spoke, half came out. And I could tell by the look in her eyes, it was the wrong half. 
because she's telling me a story. And then out of nowhere, I go, I'm going to turn off the lights. You will not be able to see after I close the door. Which usually gets a laugh. Then I transition to a different story, something that happened in Wisconsin, right? And luckily, in real life, it happened with a comic who thought it was hilarious. And then we both started talking about how this was going to become a bit. And we started, she started giving me lines to say about, like, things, in, about things to say in the bit. But in, in the story, I make it a much more uncomfortable situation. So you so build, the, you, you exaggerate. Yeah, I exaggerated to make my point. But right. the, the, the point is that... Is this, what, that, is this what women are thinking of you as a result of this culture that we're a part of? As a result of to this culture, exactly. So it's all driven. I'm trying to do a joke about me being an idiot instead yeah. of a joke about, I think, rape's hilarious. I'm so afraid that someone thinks I'm going to rape them that I go out of my way to make, that, to make it look better and you but end up achieving up. the, the and opposite. And you mess up in the, and you end up achieving In the end, I mess up. Right. And, that, and rape culture is fucked up. And that, and then that makes you the clown, but you're commenting on something bigger. Exactly. And I, I don't do it that much because I've had only once I've had a, I've had people leave because they just didn't like anything I said in the entire show. Sure, sure. So they thought that I was just making fun of rape the moment I said it. It's challenging because it's like anything worth saying, you know. Yeah, exactly, and it's like I don't feel that I'm not like a, I don't feel the need to like say provocative shit just to say it. Like I'm not a shock comic or a cringe humorist. I like to talk about controversial shit to figure out how I feel about it and to figure out a way to feel about it. Mm-hmm. Not just to make fun of it, but to be like, well, how can I feel about this? You know what I mean? Like I have a joke about Uber and Lyft because I haven't had a car for six uh, nine months actually. And talking about the differences of Uber and Lyft. Do you wedge that into every podcast? No. No. Just w- this wedge one. one. Wedge what into? The, uh, the car, not having a car. No. Um, I haven't done a podcast in a really long time, actually. Really? Because I just have been You're going to really have a fucking... car. You're going to have a car we'll soon. See. We'll see what happens. I yeah. mean, as Chris Rock once said, my credit's so bad they won't even take my cash. That's kind of where I am right <laughs> now. <laughs> um, I have uh, some coupons I can give you. Oh, coupons for cars. Yeah, I have some coupons from some people. I'll give them to you. Anyway, do you feel, and I don't expect you to have an answer since I expect you to have a direction to go, not like a, a destiny. The takeaways yeah. from this talk. What do you think? Do you feel like you kind of understand what I'm talking rape about? Rape culture is messed up. That's what up, I. Bro. That's what I got out Rape's of this talk. Up, but rape culture. Um. What's the direction? I think maybe um, it's probably to go back through your the material you have and look for what that moral, like maybe it's like writing out what some of those moral centers could be, then going back through. In every. Wait, hold on. Let me finish. And then you go back through the jokes that you're working on and see if you can find the through line of what it is that you want to say, referencing back to that morality and looking at that in the context of style, like what you can kind of bring to the table, you as a performer, like you specifically, you know, what you, what your look and all that shit brings to the table and add that in um, when you're talking about it. So that might help give you some, some direction. Yeah. I don't think, I don't think I randomly talk about stuff that I don't like, I know I drop a lot of, cause it's like, there's a lot of like, 
like something about McDonald's or fast food or whatever, I drop a lot of those things, like those the bits that I have on those, even if the observations are funny, because I'm like, what, what am I doing? I don't fucking care. But the like, thing is, it's it's. But you can spin that into something bigger, yes, or you, you can. can you can spin it into something. If that's you know more where articulate. you want to end, then you can figure out where you want to begin. Yeah, and so it's like, and you can use the specificity of those examples to help temper it. Or I know I noticed like with John Oliver's stuff, it's like so highbrow and clever, but it's like he tempers it with like the lowbrow of like. Duck Dynasty levels, yeah, yeah, yeah. Squirrels, levels. hamsters on YouTube, like he because you it's use like everything in your arsenal to make them understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The fuck it is that you're sure, saying? Sure, sure, sure. Which sure. actually was is Bill Cosby's message to to Hassan: <laughs> make them understand. Oh, oh, is that what he? Oh, in that it's the documentary. Oh, yeah, I was but, there. I was. Yeah. I saw that documentary. But, but Hassan told me that to, after he met Bill Cosby in person. Bill Cosby was born on my birthday. Was he? Well, I was that's... born on his birthday. He was alive many years ago. Well, before that's why me. you guys are such kindred spirits. Are we though? No. I don't think so. Not at all. But I like him so he much. Might be more, he might be more similar than you than you think. We both have very bad eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's probably much it, probably it. I guess the thing is that 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 it's like every time you're writing a bit, you come to a fork in the road. You know what I mean? Well, which way could this go? And sometimes when I'm when I'm not sure what to do, I go like well how do i feel about this subject sure yeah how do i feel about this and thing it's a that way I'm to saying? come back and the other thing is but the other and it thing... makes me might make me change the last statement it makes mm-hmm. me go like well i feel this oh now i need to change this thing in the beginning to make this make but it's sense. also like making sure it's funny all the way through all the way through. sometimes it's like it yeah like sometimes i still struggle with making it it's like if the, i might know what the morality is but i don't know how to make that morality hilarious or the no, contrary no, that's, that's the whole point it's like you have to figure out where you're what's the beginning, what's the end, and then you fill in the the middle yeah. with jokes, yeah, until it's funny enough to you, yeah. And then sometimes you realize this is all too long. The only thing I need out of this whole thing is the second half. I don't need this whole first beginning. Now this five minute bit is a three minute bit. Yeah. Okay. You know, because there's a lot of jokes where I have punchlines and full stories and movements. That I just that never work that are long that I don't need there it fucks up the rhythm of the joke now mm-hmm. let me cut all this this is the meat let me see if I can all that two minutes I just cut I can probably sell that in one sentence because the moral the morality is in the second part now yeah and that's the funniest part and that, that gets the point across you dig yeah and it's like the most deeply honest part and you probably just feel like lost for a lot of it also you know? sure. But also, it changes. A... It changes with your fucking. You can't have the same mora- like the same center you did every single year. You were saying that then you decide, you decide at like ten years what you're going to be working on, kind of for the next two years or something. You know that it's almost like you kind of reevaluate what's important to you. You do because your life changed. Right. Your life changes. Your job prospect changes. Your relationship status changes. Your financial, all that stuff is going to change it's how you see everything. Make you reevaluate. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the core things might stay the same, but the circumstantial things are going to change, and then your perspective on the circumstances the becomes core either, you know, maybe more extreme or less extreme, or or you know, kind of goes through phases of right. like more cynical or less cynical or whatever. You know, whatever that is. Well, but is. the core, the core stuff, yeah, usually doesn't change that much, but it does change. Mm-hmm. And you have to be open to everything that you think is true might actually not be. So, like Bill Burr getting married, and it's like Pete Holmes was saying he railed, you know, for quite a against long time against marriage. 
against for, it. Yeah, for like 30 minutes or Because he was working that shit out with himself, for real. And in the end, he kind of saw, you know what, actually, I think I can make it work. Because he, he vocalized every problem he had with marriage to himself and saw the opposites of it. In his own person, he made it a very funny bit, and but in his own personal life, personal life, he saw, well, maybe I don't actually think that anymore. Now that I've voiced it, I see how silly that I, that fear might be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've done this same thing to you know minor, mi- so much like, more minor decisions. I don't know if you remember this, yeah. this, but this is a specific one. Like I had that joke about jail, right? Mm, okay. I don't know if you remember this, but uh, it goes no. uh, in the state of California, it costs fifty about fifty thousand dollars a year to keep a person in prison, right? Um, that means that if I went to prison, that would be a $35,000 upgrade Yes, on my life. And then it's an argument for why like prison would be amazing. Right. You know, because you get all this creative free time is basically the idea. You get all this creative free time to do whatever it is that you want when your food and your housing and your rent and your community is taken care of for you. All you have to do is focus on like writing your novel, you know, it's like you only have one focus and it's like. And then, like, talking about whatever, Gandhi went there and Martin Luther King went there. I'm not, like, doing it. Like, but you also, were doing it. But the yeah. point is, it's like, I don't, like, that's not, a, I, I think that, like, mm-hmm. in my head sometimes, like, oh, it'd be so great if I didn't have to, like, be an adult and do everything myself. And, like, oh, prison, what a what an advantage. But I'm not stupid enough to think that that's actually the thing. Like, that's definitely. But it's a funny idea. There, but it's definitely. There's a but there's a, a reason you romanticize it. There's supposed to be yes, there is, and that's what's that's your morality. That's what's funny about it is even if you don't think that like you you don't want to go to prison, but there's a party that's like it might be good for me. Uh, the structure, the structure of it might do me good. Yeah, I got too I get, much freedom right now. I get a routine. I get a schedule. When I got all this freedom, I basically act like I'm in prison. Yeah, I just sit inside all day. I just sit inside. But if I'm in prison, I'll be like, you know what? I want to get out there. I can there. handle these four walls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to go to. I want to go to the library. I I'd be excited a, to read like a book. It sounds like being a rich kid. That like everything is taken care of for you, and that's why you're so goddamn creative. You don't see that comparison. I don't see that comparison because you just said that when you're in prison, you know, you have all your rent and your all that stuff is taken care of, and you just have all this free time to be creative. That's what it sounds like to be a rich kid. Yeah. It sounds like the same thing. It's like they have all this free time. Everyone's, someone's paying their rent. Somebody's doing everything for and them. But so, many, but so many rich kids are lost. Because they're like they're in prison because they're prisoners to their parents. And they don't have the structure. They don't have the structure of prison. Because they're free. Yeah. So their parents are like, I paid for all this stuff and you have to do what I say. But I'm free. No, you're not. Or good luck to you. Like you're free. Like, you know what I mean? But in prison, you have the structure of like, you got to wake up at this time. You got to wear this outfit. You don't have to decide what you want to wear. Like then you get exercise. Like I don't exercise. I don't have the discipline to do that. I don't like moving, you know? So like I don't, you know? Have you said any of this on stage? What? What you're saying right now. I don't like to exercise. Like all the stuff that we've been talking about. Some, I mean. Because a lot of this is good stuff. Yeah. the, the, The jail stuff. It's just like. You have to reveal why what it is about you that romanticizes that stuff you yeah the structure thing is like that what, should be why is it romantic and why is it romantic to you yeah 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 the why because you could that. use a little structure i could i could use a lot That's of i thesis. do i do so much better with structure and it's like if you take like when care, i say when i say sometimes i say that's to why people, i did well in school because it was like somebody else was structure. cooking the food and, and like, schools are like prisons. Yeah. No, but no, no, but it's like, and then when I come home, my mom would cook food. Like my only response, my only responsibility was to do well academically. Well, I can handle one thing. 
sure, I can do one thing well. I need to do well academically. Yeah, I can do well academically if I have nothing else going on. I can write a novel if I have nothing else going on. <laughs> Easy. Done. See? Nobel Prize. Yeah, okay, fine. This is what I'm saying. This, yeah, is, yeah. this is how you feel about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's a little deeper. And you can make that funny. It's already funny. But like making it, you know, explaining it more and more to different kinds of people will make it funnier and funnier. And then it's like you don't have to. And so that's the idea of writing on stage. It's like you don't have to write the bit. It's like you have to just find the why on stage. It's like finding the the why why that's like and the why the why is something that's deep that you believe in deeply. And if you believe in it deeply, you can find that off stage too. Yeah. Sometimes you find the why off stage, and then you have to find what the bit is. I, I that see. Explains and I'm the still. Why. I would say I'm still at the point where it's like it's still. If the room is really warm, if the room is really warm, then I'm comfortable enough to do that. Yeah. But when the room, it, like, so anytime, like, I remember I co-hosted Risk with Beowulf, um, and they're so warm, they're so kind, and so it was like doing some of the stuff for the first time on the stage is okay. It feels very safe. And it's easy. Yeah. It doesn't always feel that way. No, so it's because like, those are your, your new bits. Your new jokes are babies. Yeah. And so you don't want to throw them to the vultures too early. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, and so sometimes I find that like having some level of articulation on it, like it's e- like I'll be on the telephone with a friend or yeah. I'll be like talking like this and it comes very easily. But sometimes a rough room is where I find my whys. Because I have to make people that you I have hate, to, yeah, that, yeah. I, that I'm not really fans of understand yeah yeah and sometimes it helps me get to the point or if they're really tough like one time i did this bar like this titty bar in like the oc okay it was just like it was like crazy because i it was like it was literally like like people look like gangsters just like the entire audience was like just these gangsters and then these women with these boobs and they were out it was a literal titty bar it's interesting and that's the first place i did the jail joke but i get yeah. very kind of because you kind of puff up a little bit so that you make them have to listen to you because you right. have to. Right. In those, it's very um, well, survival. You know, the survival. thing is, I was trying to explain something to somebody the other day about porn and comedy because there's a lot of similarities oh, sometimes. God. Porn and strippers and comedy and sex industry, sex workers and comedy. What? Why are you rubbing your face? I was trying to breathe. Um, I was trying to breathe uh, loudly into the microphone so that the people could hear my... Uh, Oh, brother, where is this going? You oh, know? brother, where art thou? Yeah. No, I'm just saying that there's a lot of similarities in how the rest of the culture thinks about us. In a sense, we're kind of all outcasts. We're kind of all fucked up, and that's why we have to do that. To people who aren't in the sex industry or comedians, you know, like to be a movie star or like a musician is really cool. And of course, that's amazing. You have a talent. But a comedian, you're just getting on stage and you're talking about yourself. There's something wrong with you that you want to get. That's what people always say to comics. Who says that? Audience members say that all the time. Oh, you're you're there's something fucked up about you. But like, oh, don't you want to have to? Don't you have to be fucked up to get on stage? Don't you have to be to demand the love of strangers for ten minutes at a time through only laughter? So I'm just saying that. Who's like, saying this to you? Not to me, just to comics. Just, in, just to, I don't like, think I hear this as much. Oh, I wonder yeah, yeah, yeah. if there's this a little a bit general, of a, this yeah, is yeah, but I wonder a cultural if, identity I wonder if of, I hear com- this of less, comedy. I think I might hear this less as a woman. I don't think I hear that as much as a woman. I've heard those those st- stereotypes, but they're well, but rarely directed at me specifically. Maybe, but I'm saying that's why there's. Uh, I, they're not necessarily directed at me either. Just directed at the idea of stand up. Like people like comedy, but to be a stand up comic is a different thing. I said... Like, a, a stand-up comic specifically is different than a 
sketch comedian. I get it. Then it's like a stand-up comic. You tour the, the, the road, stay in dingy hotels, g- get up in shitty rooms. It's like, and sometimes they're strip clubs. So it's like the culture thinks we're dirty in a general sense. I um... Until we're famous and we become movie stars and TV stars, then we're allowed to not be dirty anymore. But everybody else that's not famous is gr- kind of gross. I don't want to date them. I don't really want to know them. I'll laugh at them, but I don't want to like have is them it, in my life. But are they physically a little gross too? Because it's, it's like it's all it's all psychological. It's like, but do they shower and stuff? And like, sometimes they think about this too. And sometimes, oh, maybe that they're... fat guy on stage with the fucking beard and the gut and the, the and the stains on ever, his shirt. Has he ever washed that flannel? Who is uh, that yeah, guy? Yeah, and the stains on the shirt. Does it's he... the same thing. It's like, oh, this girl fucks for money. It's the same level of disgust. I disagree with you, but I understand the point you're making. I I, I, I see the parallel, it's, but I don't... But I'm saying there's books written about this. I mean, you can read the books and fucking disagree with those. Probably. But it's like, I'm Snooki saying... Snooki has a book. I'm saying... No, I'm just saying that, like, anthropologically, we're kind of seen as outcasts. There's I constantly like, this fucking I love the question I, of, aren't you fucked up because you're a comic? The way you said... I can't said, believe you've way, never heard of that. The way, you said, the way you said anthropologically was like... Fact stuff, you know. You no, I'm just saying it's a good. cultural identity. I understand, that. and I'm saying that, like, I to me, to me, because I don't care about what the book says. Um, it's not book. I'm talking. It's like culture. Many, I've seen it. It's many. Books. I've heard 80 million comedians talk about this that aren't me. I'm so sub- I'm amazed that you've never heard. This. I've heard it. It must mean that no one takes you seriously. Fuck you. That's, Continue your point. It's no. It's <laughs> it's I, um. I just why why do why why do you need to um. Why do you need to add that? How is that identity helpful to what it is that you're trying to do? Do you do you need that identity? Does that what identity that identity that you described to me? I don't like it. Well, okay. So to I'm not me, saying it's true. I'm saying that cultures. I'm saying that people think that about us. I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying that audience members who have never done stand up, who don't know what who don't know what jokes are, who've never written a joke, who've never done a comedy, they don't know what we go through I feel like to do this. They I, just think that we're fucked up. I just And some of us are and some of us aren't. I would say I feel like um But it's a general idea. It's a it's a I'm saying there's this generalization that exists. Right. I'm quite, but that that's like saying there's a general idea that like the culture is materialistic. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah, of course, like there's, but you don't have to internalize any part of that that you don't want. If you don't, I mean, I think it's about internalizing. It's about about when people treat you differently because they think that's true. Do people treat you differently? Yeah, they do. People, when people find out I'm a comic, sure, Uh, I get the opposite. People are impressed that I'm a comic, and I think that's. I get fucking. I want people want to tell me who they think is funny. They want me to be funny immediately. Tell them a joke. Aziz used to have a joke, a joke about this. Yeah, sure. He's like, tell me a joke, and it's always aggressive. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. with men, they're looking at you. every man thinks he's so fucking sure, funny. Sure, sure, sure. So they're looking at you like I'm funnier than you. You're just some guy sitting next to me on a plane. Right, right. Make right. me laugh now, right. so I know that I'm better than you. Yeah, sure. Okay, because I'm not fair. fucked up, and you are. But obviously. I think I again, I I think it's there. There is no. There isn't a lot of precedent for somebody who looks like me doing stand-up. There just isn't that much precedent for it. Like, there aren't that many it's, women it's... doing it, r- really comparatively, and there aren't that that many minority women. And then like minority like Indian women, like how many? There's there is a handful of really wonderful people who are 
awesome and I love doing it, but it's, I don't think it fits into that cultural identity that you're talking about in a, in a, in a, a big enough way, but in a big enough way. Oh, let me finish. You're actually in, articulating your whole problem that you've been having right now. What? You're saying that there's not a precedent for that. There is usually, uh, an, your quirky ethnic next door neighbor girl. That's the precedent. That's how Hollywood wants to see you. Uh-huh. And if you get on stage and you talk talk about dark shit, well, that's not quirky next door neighbor friendly girl. Right. So that's the precedent that you're working against. Right. Because people want you to act subservient, docile, small, peaceful, and that's not what you are. So you're caught in that fucking Ali Ali tension. Wong is pretty like balls out. I would say you know she's kind of and those are parts on television, which isn't necessarily, but in term. Like parts on television are different than stand up. Do you know what I mean? Like that but might parts be on television dictate what the culture inform, thinks. Yeah, inform what people have seen or where they might see somebody who's like you and how how to or react what they to think people. about you. But I and I guess like and this is where I have some faith in like the American the American model of entertainment is that I think that people like the general populace is actually like. Um, if you can be articulate enough and you can find a way to articulate whatever it is, you can, there's an openness. There's an openness to this culture where like people, like a, a wide range of people who you would never think would relate to you or accept you. Absolutely. Find, find something in you that they are responsive to. Yes. And, that, and there's an inclusiveness that's like very particularly American, I think. That's a really lovely thing in this country. And so it's like... Well, that's, that's why podcasting is a thing. But that's why you can... Sh- like, so that's why I think co- comedy has been a really interesting space where people, minorities, women, have been able to start to shape culture. Like, yes. a, there wasn't disease before there was disease. Like, these are just examples of people who are Indian because it's like, but until, like, whatever it was, 2005, that didn't exist. Right. And then that's a thing that existed because enough people kind of were able to relate to that but there was an open-mindedness in the country that allowed for that voice or that point of view or perspective but it's, and that's because there, there wasn't an obama before obama right but that's that's a very beautiful thing about the culture so it's like if i'm going to internalize anything about stand-up or comedy it's like that's the thing i would take with me because it's like that's a helpful thing and that's an that's that's something that's going to drive you to do it every day and get better and get to that place where you can yes. work on i mean that's what i take away from it which is why I mean, I don't know. Really, that's ch- why that's why things I'm are saying, changing. That's, but that's why I'm saying like when you when you say, oh, the culture thinks this or that. It's like I don't need any of that. If like if that's not helpful to me. You and don't it's, anymore. It's, yeah. But the thing is that because because things have changed, because the, the attitude and the temperature of the country is changing, the multi the ethnicity of the country is changing. So it's like what does Harry say? Twenty forty two. Yeah. Twenty forty two. I mean, it's like. That's a real statistic, but the idea of it is that white people are losing the country. This is why they're fighting tooth and nail for it right now. So it's like they're still the majority, but like there are cities and there are arts and stuff where they're not. But and when you say when you say white people are losing the country, it's mm-hmm. like, but is it really that? Is it really that polarized? Yes. Like I live, I live in a, I live in a city, and I've lived in I've lived in very liberal parts of the country. I lived in South Florida. Mm-hmm. I've lived in Boston. Mm-hmm. Spent time in New have York. Have you been to every state? No, I have. Yeah. Okay, except for Idaho and Alaska. Yeah. So I'm just saying, and you, I see what's out there. You feel like it's deeply polarized. It's very polarized, and I because it's like 
your experience that's, your experience is that it's very polarized. Well, that's what you'll you find kindness, of course, in places that you don't expect it. But you also find cruelty in places you don't expect sure. it. Sure. You find closed mindedness in places you don't expect it. I experienced because the thing is, I started doing stand up before the internet was like really where you had to like it wasn't like it is now. So it's like people can find more. They can find their specific things that they like and gravitate towards. There's more choice. And for a lot of people who never had access before, they have access. There's more access. So you can find the thing that you like easier. You used to have to be really discerning or just like the, the, the one of the three channels, right? I mean, of course, there was cable and stuff when I was coming up. But I'm saying that, like, I've had to deal with – I had the generation of comic before me who had the, didn't have the internet at all, you know, who toured this country – and it informs how they see this country and how they perform. And I'm the generation after that. And you're the generation after mine, in a sense. I mean, you're kind of – you're like half my experience. No, no. I've been doing comedy 10 years longer than you have. So it's like I have a full 10 years of touring. Baron, Baron just finds a way – it's like – it's like these like kind disparagements. I'm just saying that I, I have I've observed more. This is this is not I've shit been I'm making up. I've alive longer. I'm better than you. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm just saying like these are the patterns I've seen based and I'm seeing it, I'm seeing it change. So you're not going to have to deal with and you're not dealing with a lot of the shit that I had to deal with. And I didn't have to deal with a lot of the shit that the guys before me had to deal with. Sure. That's... I didn't have to come up in the black rooms. Didn't have to. Every black comic before me had to. It doesn't matter if they were like me or not. They were getting booked in Brooklyn yeah. and, in, and in the fucking the ghetto and having to go through that first before they could break out of it, before they could, um, what was the word, cross over into the white rooms, which is not a white, they're not white rooms, they're just regular comedy clubs. But I came up where I could pursue a little bit more. There was indie shit. There was alt scene. But I didn't pursue it. That just they pursued me in a way. And now people are pursuing getting on those shows. You know? So it's like I came up knowing those guys. And they were like, hey, come do my little weird bar show that became the biggest fucking show in New York. So there's such a timing aspect to yeah. it too. That's interesting. And I'm saying you're in a different era because you're right. There's not a precedent. There's, there's more people of color and women of color. And people with different sexual orientations of color than ever doing stand up. And they're coming up without a precedent. I'm was, a straight black guy. There was a precedent. There was a precedent. I devolved from it. Right. I did something different. Right. And now stuff that I've done is a precedent. The stuff that I did is a precedent. Uh, Baron's actually wearing a crown right now. I'm he, wearing a crown. He King, picked it King up. Comedy. He picked it up um, off of a. Uh, the edge of his sofa. But like, out it's of like the there, there are there are famous comedians in this country right now who There's have never performed for a live audience. It's been smelling up the room. All right, calm down. There's, <laughs> there, there are famous comedians in this country who got a reputation from never performing for a live audience. You know, like Bo Burnham, millions of views, and suddenly he can sell out a theater. Right. Right. That didn't exist at all when I started. Right. There's a lot of of different stuff. Yeah. Well. um, should we end this? We should end this. Um, friendship, that is. is that what you <laughs> it's the end of our friendship. I've had enough of you forever. That is the thing, and the thing is that this was Deep Shit, a lost episode, and there are more to come. 
Uh, thank you for staying with me and coming back and tell everyone you know I'm going to be posting this bitch consistently from now on, even though this one is a day late. But that's true Baron Vaughn fashion. Am I, is it right? So, at least if I fuck you over, I'm honest with you about why. Hey, deep shit. Anyway, um, go over to the All Things Comedy Network. Support them and all the things that they are doing. Actually, there are a lot of uh, interesting things that they want to um, to support. They're doing a little campaign right now for a fundraiser that um, starts... It started uh, November 3rd, and it runs for... 35 days from November 3rd, so I guess that's going to be November 38th is when that ends. Um, what they're trying to do is they have a new ATC studio in Hollywood. Professional equipment, all sorts of things. So they're trying to um, raise funds to get that fully operational. Um, go to TubeStart.com. T-U-B-E-S-T-A-R-T. TubeStart.com. There's a sticker that you can buy that says, I support all things comedy. It's five bucks with shipping included. So if you want to do that, do that. Please do do that. Okay? Tubestart.com. Get a sticker. Get a mug. There's a couple other things I think they're over there. So they're doing this for the whole month of Novems and a little bit into Decems. So get deep with that shit and get all things comedy, merch, support, 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 blah, 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 yakety schmackety, as the Tasmanian devil once said. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. I want, 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 I